0: Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the college and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. All right, after you're done greeting and meeting one another, would you turn to this passage of Scripture? I'll give you a second to actually turn there. And it's our habit to not put the Scriptures on the screen, just as a little incentive to, to say, we really want you to turn there in your own text, whether that's an electronic text or an actual paper Bible, uh, we want you to get into the habit of doing that so you can read it with your own eyes and see the Word of God um, with your own eyes as we read along. So it's 2 Corinthians, it's in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then you'll get into Romans and then the Corinthians, so make sure you're in Second Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 10. And I... Need to get my Bible out, or let's see. I have it on here, but it's, it's one of those things. Here, sorry. Okay, so listen to the words. For we know that if the tent, see this tent? That's, we'll get to there. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, and by that Paul is talking about maybe this earth and maybe our own bodies as well, So if that's destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent, like the tent we're living now, our bodies, this world, we groan, longing to put our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. Verse 4 says, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. It's kind of a hard analogy to get our minds around, but Paul's basically saying we live in something temporary and we are groaning and waiting for a new body, a new creation that will be made new and it'll be awesome and it'll, it'll swallow up what is now. And verse 5, the final verse that I'm going to read, I'm not going to go all the way till 10, says this, He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Let's pray. God, we come before you and uh, humbly, and we praise your holy name. We thank you, Lord, that today we're going to talk about resurrection. Turn a corner as we t- start a new topic and talk about something that is so vital, so important to Christians and what we believe, that that this life that we're living now is is not... Um, eternal, but yet it will be eternal, that we will die, yet there is a death that leads to life. And Lord, would you show us that this morning? Would you proclaim your truth to us and to our hearts and into our minds that we might understand you and worship you? We love you, Lord. And everybody said, amen. So I have a picture of of what you'll be in a hundred years. It's kind of prophetic a little bit. Uh, maybe depressing. But this is you in about a hundred years. And if this isn't you, then email me. But I will be this in about a hundred years. This is a picture of you, your head. We will all be dead, won't we? In about a hundred years. Even if you're like ten, it's pretty rare to live to a hundred and ten. Um, but if you're in your twenties, it's very rare to live to a hundred and twenty. So this is us in a hundred years. A picture of a skull. And... We don't like death, death in our culture death anywhere there's there's no one likes death um, it is a reality, and we as Americans are very like um, hidden from death like when your family members die or when someone close to you dies uh, someone comes from the funeral home and picks them up and they um decorate the body. They put makeup on the body. They make sure the, the body doesn't smell. And then you see them, maybe if it's an open casket kind of wake or a funeral, you'll see them briefly for just a little while. And you're kind of removed from the process of death. I mean, think back just a hundred years ago or pretty much in any other culture. If someone in your family, someone very close to you dies, well, then you take their body and you bring them to Maybe your kitchen table or something. And you prepare them for death. You get them ready. You get the body ready. You're in that process. And we as Americans have been, I guess you could put it this way, we've been robbed of the reality of death. When someone dies, they're they're taken from us. And that, that whole process is very hidden from us. Unless you work at a hospital, unless you work at a uh, a funeral home, you are very removed from the process of death. But it is, of course, a reality, and we will all experience death, maybe some sooner, maybe some later, but there is a death that brings life, and that today is the topic, uh, the rest of this month we're gonna talk about the topic of the resurrection, something extremely central and important to our Christian faith. So, sorry to start off with a Debbie Downer of a sermon illustration, but it is a necess- necessary one? A necessary one. So, welcome to the Mill Sunday School. So glad you're here. Uh, if you're new, there are uh, things on your table... Like little guest cards. We would love it if you filled one out. We won't bug you or send you emails hourly. Uh, if you want an email, check the box that says you want an email. If you want me to call you, that's what I do throughout the week. I call people and new people that come that want to call. I will call you. Uh, no big deal. So fill those out, and then on your way out, uh, bring it to the back, and we will give you a gift. Our pastor, Brady Boyd, has written a couple books, and I think the book we're giving out now is called Addicted to Busy, and so we would love to have you have that as a gift. So. That's your announcements. One more announcement, Gabe, come on up. This is uh, Gabe is our uh, pastor of the Men's Ministry, and he's going to talk about decades. So, Gabe, it's this Wednesday, right? Yes. Decades. So, tell us. See, I thought what you were going to say
1: this is what you are going to look like in a hundred years, right <laughs> here? <laughs> eh, kind of. Hey, we have a we have one of these posters on each of your tables. This is actually uh, this was Daniel Porter's idea, and this picture is four different guys. Put together to make one face. Four different guys from four different generations. So there was, you can kind of see Daniel in there if you look closely. You can't see his hair, (laughs) but uh, there's a guy uh, from 27 all the way up to 76 in that picture. But essentially what we're doing this Wednesday night, we want to invite all the guys to join us. We're going to gather for worship, and then we're going to break out according to decades. So all the guys in their 20s, will go together. How many of you guys are in your 20s? All right. All the guys in their 30s will go together somewhere else. 40s, 50s, 60s, and even 70s. And what we're going to do is we're going to have guys who are 15 or 20 years older leading a discussion about the decade of the 20s. What are the challenges of the 20s? What are the opportunities? And one of the, the examples I use is last summer when I was getting ready to try to hike some 14ers, one of the first things I did is I, I got a, a trail book. And I was essentially looking at what people who have already gone ahead of me had to say about that particular mountain. And they had the routes highlighted and the book was full of good information, really helpful information. Now when I was hiking I still had to make all the decisions and I had to, but it was helpful to hear from people who had already hiked that mountain. And essentially, that's the same idea with decades, is this is an opportunity to hear from guys who are a little further ahead, they're 15, 20 years ahead, and um, they don't have all the answers, it's not like a, hey, come and listen to this guy, He's he's got all the answers, but he's going to be leading a conversation about the 20s, and uh, it'll be really interactive and engaging, and helpful and encouraging. So, good. it's this Wednesday night at uh, 6.30 in room 110, which is the student chapel. We'd love for you to come.
0: Gabe, okay. thank you for sharing, letting us know about the opportunity. Guys, it's kind of like taking, I mean, some of you are like, oh, that sounds like it's going to be kind of, uh, I don't know, it might, some of you it might sound fun, some of you it might just sound like, oh, I know that's a good thing to do. So I compared it to like taking medicine, like we're, I mean, take your medicine, guys. Uh, this is a good thing for you. So, Wednesday night. so here's a discussion question for you uh, to get us thinking about The resurrection, we first need to experience, um, at least in my mind, like we need to talk about how we're gonna die, um, which is a Debbie Downer, but it is a reality. And in that reality, I wanted to ask this question. We get together, um, the Sunday School leadership gets together and we talk about discussion questions and sermon illustrations and such things as that. And we, we've talked about, oh, this question, we liked this question it 's a very deep question, maybe a hard question for many of us. but at your table, and if you 're at a small table, you can venture out and join a larger table for better discussion. But talk about this question: What about death scares you the w is kind of missing, but what about death scares you personally and so I guess you 'll have to be a little vulnerable if you want to talk personal and that 's okay. this is um I guess a safe place we 're all um, we 're all here together, I guess so ready. That, just kind of discover. Uh, I guess it's somewhat of a personal question, but I thought I would venture out and just to see if there's anyone who, at their tables, said something uh, interesting enough to share with the big mic. See Michael over here. <clears throat> you got a thought for us, Michael? All right, man. I know for me, not being the top of the food chain anymore <laughs> is a major thing because. I don't want something eating my eyeballs out. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, always count on Michael for <laughs> good thoughts. Anybody else? Yes, Miss Erin Spurgeon.
2: I guess for me, it's um, we have a certain level of faith that the Lord's going to take care of us. Um, I had a friend recently who actually watched her husband slip hmm. away. Um, and when she described it, it was very... Um, it was very mixed feelings. It was highly emotional because she watched um, as the life force left his body. And um, I think it's true when they say. It's
0: okay, take your time.
2: It's harder on the people around you than on the people that are dying. And yeah. He didn't really feel that much pain during that moment because of all the drugs that they had him on. But just to watch the life force leave his body and how yeah. she described it. This was her husband, somebody that she loved so dearly, and he was going away. And it's just so broken, a piece inside of her. But we know, we know that the victory is that he is in heaven yeah. and he's not suffering anymore. And um, just that this physical body is very temporary. Um. I guess for me, it's, it's the fear of what, what my family will go through when I leave this earth.
0: Yeah, that's a good thought. Thank you for sharing that intimate thought with us. This table, had, this table was talking about, have you ever been with someone that was going through the process of dying? And, and I, I was listening and added into the conversation that um, a few years ago, one of my friends, uh, his name's Jesse, he was going to—he was dying— he had brain cancer and he he was saying his goodbyes to me and i was saying my goodbyes to him and then like through a series of medical events he was uh we said our goodbyes and he uh, this r- interesting surgery opened up for him and he went through the surgery and now he's fine like so we said our goodbyes and ha- have an interesting relationship now and a close one now because we <clears throat> Expected to never see each other again, at least this side of earth, and we said our goodbyes, and then this surgery he was able to live they, they got the cancer out and, and then I was able to perform the wedding for him and his wife and Now that we have this very interesting relationship where where we just know we 'll be for there for each other in death and that was a it was a scary thing, like Aaron shared with us it was a, it was a hard thing to go through, and our life is um our life on this earth is not meant to last forever and i'm going to talk about what that really means and but but the the gist of it is this that paul says we are living in but a tent of a body and this is my tent uh i got this tent when i was a little boy scout uh i think i got it back in 1989 which would make this tent older than like half of you in here are the majority of you in here um and it's 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 been a really good tent, but it is falling apart. It is uh not a good tent anymore. If you do the math, it's quite a few years old. Um, it leaks water in fact uh mark Mark Wolf, who's there Mark and I went camping a long time ago. Uh, at a Chick-fil-A opening where you like wait in the parking lot for it to open and then it opens and you get Chick-fil-A for a year. It's a pretty cool thing. But it, we were in Denver. How many was Victoria? Were you there? There was a couple other people who were there and it snowed like, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was like two feet of snow, maybe a foot and a half, but something around a foot and a half to two feet of snow during the night. And this tent totally collapsed in. And Mark Wolf back there, who's smiling about it now, was just in the tent drenching, like it was caved in and just dripping water on his head, I imagine, all night long. This is not a very good tent. And that tents are just made to not last forever. Uh, this has been a good tent to me, but after 25 years old, it's, it's not the best tent anymore. This is an ancient tent. When Paul talks about tents, he wasn't talking about nylon ripstop fabric, he was probably talking about leather and hides that would be sewn together to make a tent. And how much better of analogy? Of course, a tent made out of hides is going to leak and be very uh, breezy and cold in there. And Paul says in that verse that we started off this morning with, that our bodies, this life is but a tent. And when life comes, when true life at the resurrection, when it comes, that life will swallow up this old life that we are now living. We have but a tent sort of life now, but it will be something awesome and better. And our great hope in this life is not um, resuscitation, but resurrection. Let me explain that. A lot of people think that uh, when, when we talk about resurrection, it's just like, oh yeah, you come back to life. It's like, well, not so much. the The, the difference between resuscitation and resurrection is a pretty big difference. There are resuscitations in the Bible, like. Um, um, like we would say Lazarus was resuscitated from the dead after being dead. You could look it up a, a couple days or something. Um, there's some examples in the Old Testament of a, of a young girl and a young boy at different times being resuscitated back to life. There's uh, in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, this guy named Eutychus, it's an interesting story, falls and he dies. And then Paul comes and lays his hand on him and Eutychus gets back up. He, he's resuscitated. In modern day stories, there's stories of in the medical field, People dying, like their heart stopping, their brainwave activity seems to have stopped totally. They are pronounced dead. And then by some, I guess you could say miracle or medical miracle, people are brought back to life. Sometimes uh, people like fall into ice and, and like the water and their bodies get so cold that they begin to shut down and, and they stay alive somehow. It's a very interesting thing. Like your, your body temperature is probably what? 98.6-ish. Uh, you fall into ice and you stay there for a long period of time. People have been brought into the hospital. The record, I think, I looked it up last night, is uh, someone came into the hospital. Uh, their body temperature was 567 and they were dead. Like there was no heartbeat. There was no signs of life. They were dead. But instead of pronouncing death, the, the doctor said, let's warm them up first. And so they had this system to warm up them and the blood and reoxygenate it. And this person came back to life after being dead for like potentially over a half hour of being dead. Uh, and then they res- resuscitated back to life. But this is very, very different. Than the resurrection Jesus experiences, Jesus is not resuscitated back to life. He conquers death, and there's a big difference between resurrection and resuscitation. So, one more discussion question for you. This one's uh, less personal and more kind of like biblical knowledge nerdy. So, maybe uh, different people will will like this question better for whatever reason. But it's, but it's this. So, I encourage you go to your Bibles, open up to pretty much the end of Matthew the end of Mark end of Luke or end of John and think about read some of the details of Jesus resurrected body but maybe and maybe find some verses maybe list some things because there's clues in there to answer this question what was Jesus resurrected body like what are the clues we have in the in the in the New Testament about what his body was like would you discuss that at your table ready to set discuss maybe i'll discuss i think these answers will be short enough to yell out uh what was jesus resurrected body like it was what solid it wasn't a ghost he wasn't a ghost what else but he could go through walls though good point because they're like meeting and the doors are locked and then he just appears so he's like he's solid but he's not solid what else he still had scars yeah that's interesting and he's able to be touched because Thomas wants to touch his wounds to, to make sure this really is the real thing. And so he's able to be touched, but he's able to walk through walls. He's solid, but he's, he's kind of. What else? He's disguised. Yeah, the people, the people walking to the Emmaus Road don't recognize him. Mary doesn't recognize him. And Jesus and Mary spend a lot of time together. She, she thinks he's the gardener. Do you remember that in the ending of uh, some of the Gospels? Anything else? nothing he ate food yeah he eats with his disciples I wrote down let's see I wrote down he eats he disappears and the road to Emmaus he uh meets these two guys it's two guys right goes to Emmaus with them has a meal with them and then he's about to break the bread and as he breaks the bread what happens He's just gone. He disappears. He's able to disappear and reappear. But he is physical. He's able to be touched. He's able to kind of either... He just looks different because people don't recognize him. He does have wounds. He's not a ghost in that, like, um, throughout history, people will talk about, even I know, uh, some Christians and believers that uh, someone in their life very close to them will pass away and then at night, they'll have a dream, or they really will. They'll talk about like a vision of this person coming to them. Some sort of ghost or apparition. And, and as, as a believer, I'm not, I just don't know what to do with that exactly. But Jesus, the resurrected Jesus was not a ghost. He was not an apparition. He was there with them. Uh, he was there and he was eating with them. He was there and he was be able to be touched by them. There's lots of verses about the resurrection. Let me read just a few i'm going to just read I think I have like one, two, three, five, six, seven, nine nine verses, so very quickly mark eight thirty one Jesus predicts his death and resurrection. He came and began to teach them, the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and then he must be killed. And after three days, rise again. So that's Mark 8, 31. Jesus knows going in to this, his death that he will rise again. Before Jesus dies, he says this in John chapter 12, starting in verse 23. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces Many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So Jesus gives this interesting analogy of seeds. Like, you look at a seed and you're like, oh, it's just a dead, it looks like a pebble, it's dead, it's dried up, it's, it's withered. But when it's planted, it gives life to many, many more seeds. Um, Matthew 27, 65 says, um, th- this is just Pilate saying, that the tomb must be secured. It was just kind of interesting that, uh, Jesus would have had to raise from the dead because the, it was being guarded and the tomb was made secure. And so it says that they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting guards at it. So when Jesus' body was taken, it was put into this grave and it was sealed and it was guarded. And then the, miracle of resurrection happens. Mark 16, uh, starting in verse 5, says that as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in white robes sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. So, the fact that Jesus' body is gone, that's interesting. That's like, that's much more than a, a ghost appearing to people. That's much more than just an apparition. The body itself has been raised from the dead. Um, let's see. Uh, Luke 24, he is risen. He's not here. Remember how I told you, while you were still, wi- while I was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day, Raised from the dead. So here's Jesus uh, after his death and resurrection. He's saying, "Remember how I taught you that I would die and then be raised to th- from the dead." And then um, maybe this is the last one I'll read. First Corinthians fifteen seventeen says this: "And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins." It's a very interesting statement, a very bold claim by Paul in First Corinthians fifteen. That, that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, you would think like, oh, still the religion of Christianity is still a pretty good thing. I mean, it helps people. It does good things. We help homeless people. We help the widows and the orphans. Christianity is a good thing. But Paul says, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is futile. It's nothing. We are still in our sins. Like the whole religion of Christianity hinges upon, did Jesus really rise from the dead? And if he didn't really rise from the dead, then what we have isn't just a nice religion, isn't just a cute little thing we do on Sundays. It's nothing. It's nothing if Christ did not rise from the dead. But if he rose from the dead, then that is our great hope. That when we die, that we will truly experience death, but then we will rise from the dead. There's this interesting verse, if you know the Apostles' Creed. Does anybody know the Apostles' Creed? Okay, I, I knew it. As a, as a kid, I was raised Catholic, and we said this every single Sunday, so I have it memorized. But there's an interesting line in the Apostles' Creed that comes from a very early church. I think we as New Life could do good by, by knowing this Apostles' Creed. Uh, and the, it's, it's very similar to the Nicene Creed. It says this. It says, I believe in God, the Father, the Almighty, if you know it, say it along, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ his only son our lord he was conceived by the power of the holy spirit born of the virgin mary under pontius pilate he was crucified died and was buried and then he descended into hell and then on the third day he rose again and lots of people like stop and look at that that part of the ni- of the uh, apostles creed it's like he descended into hell like what does that mean like jesus and they, maybe they have this image of him like down, getting poked by the devil by like a little pitchfork and here's a scary picture of a, of a devil kind of guy um, and if you think about that image, like the, that death had a grip on God, that's silly to think about. If you think about the devil poking Jesus with a pitchfork, that's silly because that's like a cartoon image of what Satan is like. That's a cartoon image of what hell is like. The The the, the, the one who has the pitchfork, Jesus says this. says that God, ha, God is the judge. God has the winnowing fork in hand. It's not the devil who has power. The devil, the Satan, he is a creation of God. So to think that that devil had this whole, the devil had this hold on Jesus and was poking him or something down in down in hell. That's not really what this verse in the Apostles' Creed is talking about. What it's talking about is that Jesus truly died. He descended into the place of death. The Greek and the Apostles' Creed is just he descended into death. He descended into the down place. He truly died. The idea that uh, maybe some non-believers maybe like to say is, oh, well, maybe Jesus wasn't really dead. Maybe he was really close to death, and then they put him in a grave, and somehow through, like, some medicine he was taking or something, he was able to resuscitate his body back to life, nurse himself, back to life, being in a grave after almost being dead. And as Christians, we'd say, no, he fully died. He descended into the place of death. He was truly, totally dead. Like someday we will be truly and totally dead. But Christ conquered the grave. Here's a painting. I think this is by Raphael, not the Ninja Turtle, um, of Christ raising from the dead. There's the tomb, like busted open, and the Sea of Galilee in the background, and Jesus raising from the dead. He was totally dead, and then res- not resuscitated, totally resurrected from the dead, and he is this new being, this new creature. So we all are like this tent. Like it literally, like I smell like the mildew coming out. It stinks. It's not a good thing. We in our earthly bodies, we are but a tent waiting for for the death of our own bodies, waiting for the death of our life, because we know that as believers, Christ has conquered death. And at the resurrection, we will conquer death. We will be raised from the dead. So what I want to leave us with, with the the few minutes that we have left today, is our resurrection. What about us? We We believe that Christ raised from the dead, that God raised Christ from the dead. But who are we? Like our bodies... We're like this tent. We are going to die and we are going to, um, we're like the tent in that, like, we're getting older. This tent will soon be retired. Our bodies will retire and we will wait for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Just like Christ was raised from the dead, we will also be risen from the dead. And Paul says this analogy. I read it already by Jesus. Jesus says that unless a kernel of wheat dies and is buried, then it won't raise again. Paul says it this way. It's this analogy of a seed. He says it like this. It's First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35, if you want to find it later. I'm just going to read it quickly. It's only two verses, uh, two, three, four, four verses. First Corinthians 15, starting in verse 35, Paul says this, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? Seems like a good question, don't you think? Like, what will our bodies look like? How are the dead raised? What kind of body will we have? Have any of you ever thought that before? Seems like a great question to me. Um, and as a teacher, maybe in high school or middle school, maybe you had a great question, you raised your hand, you asked the question, and then the teacher said, that's the stupidest question I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, okay, I guess it is, I don't know. Um, sorry. <laughs> this seems like a good question, right? So I'll, re- I'll keep reading. Um but some will say, "How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they come with?" Paul says, "This, you foolish person!" It's like, "Oh, it's a, it's a silly question. I didn't know. Sorry." What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. For some reason, this was so obvious to Paul. Paul, knowing the, the truths and right, being able to write Scripture, talk on behalf of, of what God's will is, and we are still reading Paul's words as Scripture to us. Paul was able to comprehend this resurrection of the dead, so much so that he was like, oh, that's a silly question because it's like this. What, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Verse 37, and what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps a wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen and to each kind of seed its own body. So Paul makes an analogy about seeds. That's why there's a picture of a germinating seed up here. And my um, undergrad, when I was going to college, I, I got a degree in biology, and I specialized. You could either specialize in zoology or botany. I picked botany because I thought, oh, that'll be a great thing to have if I ever become a pastor. <laughs> 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 Just kidding. I, I kind of wanted to be a high school biology teacher, but then I started teaching high school, and those kids were really mean to me. So I was like, I don't want to teach high school anymore. Oh, I know. So, anyways, I, I really like plants. Like we we could talk about plants sometime if you're into plants. We could talk about. Plants, and I, I just, I think about plants sometimes, and I like plants. I think about the miracle, at least in my mind, that something like a seed could be dead. We think it's dead. It's dried up. It's shriveled. There's no, there's no water in it. It's, it's some, some seeds can last years, like hundreds of years, potentially, and still be this thing that can be planted in the ground watered a little bit, and then spring forth new life. And Paul says, unless you die, you won't have a new eternal life. And so the seed analogy, to me, is so valuable in thinking about. To Paul, it was so obvious that he calls us foolish just for asking the questions. It's like, oh, how silly of a question. Uh, it's just like a seed that's planted on the ground. You think it's dead. You look at the seed, and you're like, oh, this is a dead thing. Just looks like a pebble. But then out of it comes life. So I thought it was such a cool analogy that I thought I want you to, to see it and look at it. So under every table is a pack of seeds. And, and Leslie helped me put them there. So if they've fallen to the floor, it's, it's my fault. But there should be a pack of seeds under every table. Some are like really cool flowers. Some are like beets. Sorry if you got the beets. Um, but you got some seeds. So why don't, why don't you do it with try not to make a mess, but open up the packet a little bit and look at the seed. It looks dead, doesn't it? <laughs> okay, I just said try not to make a mess. I'm seeing seeds everywhere. <laughs> so look at the seed. Um, if you want, it is springtime, so you could take uh, the seed... And plant it when you get home. Or I thought, you know what would be really funny? Is if we all took the seeds and went out there. See that little pond area? And we just put a bunch of seeds in there. And then I see Danny in the back. He's on hospitality. Don't do it. But it'll be fun. And then like months from now, um, if the bunnies don't eat it and hospitality doesn't pick it as a weed, um, we'll see some flowers or some beets or what else do you have? Uh, Chard. okra I don't know I had all these random seeds that someone gave me so they're t- it's just random whatever you got um, but look at the seed it's dead isn't it I mean you could you could look at it some of you have bigger seeds or some of you have smaller seeds I imagine if you have the poppies there's like, they're like the tiniest seed but it's dead and here's what I want you to think about here's what I want to conclude with today um, this hope that we have as believers, so I started off Sunday school showing you a picture of a skull. Do you remember that? Kind of started off Sunday school with a, a debbie downer it 's like we are all going to die. That is the case in probably a hundred years, maybe give or take we will every single person in this room will all be dead, and that 's just the way it is that 's the way things are life. This life is like a tent. It will wear out and we are waiting for life to come and swallow this life that is meant to not be forever so that we can have a life that is meant to be forever an eternal resurrected life. 1st First, First Thessalonians 4 says this, Paul once again saying, "I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers." Say, so "Don't don't be silly about this. Listen very carefully. Don't don't be ignorant." concerning those who have fallen asleep and paul clearly here you could look at the context of first thessalonians 4 and see that paul's clearly talking about those that have died but he refers to them that have died as those that have just fallen asleep like last night probably everybody in here fell asleep if you didn't you probably need to crash after this but every night we fall asleep and in the morning we are raised we are brought back to consciousness And Paul's saying, don't be ignorant about those that have already died. For they have died, they have fallen asleep. But don't be, don't, don't have any, don't have not hope about that. What am I trying to say? Don't lose hope about that. So he says this. Gosh, that was hard to get out. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers and sisters, concerning those who have fallen asleep. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He's probably talking about people that are non-believers, people that, oh, when they die, um, they're just gone. People of no religion or people with other religions that just say, oh, when someone dies, they're just gone. And wouldn't that be, um, I mean, who are we before God to demand eternal life? You know, who are we to say that, okay, maybe God, you know, maybe all that we deserve in this world is just to be created. Maybe we don't even deserve that to be created, to have life, to have some good days, maybe to eat some good food, maybe to have some good friends, maybe to experience a nice sunrise. And then when we die, there's nothing left. I mean, what if that was the case? Wouldn't we be thankful just for that, to be created, to have life, but for a time? But there's so much more than that. There's so much more hope than that. Verse 14 says, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. We will one day die, and, and those of us that die before Christ's return, we will be raised with him at some point. He will come back, and he will judge the living and the dead, and the living and the dead, that there will be no end to this kingdom. The picture I put on your, uh, your notes for this morning is this... Uh, Kind of a mural, an icon of Jesus raising from the dead, Adam and Eve. Look at that. They're getting out of their tombs. And and the back, the quote, if you turn over your notes, there is this quote. It's the Paschal Troparion, which is a song that dates back to—it's most likely that this song dates, dates back to the 100s A.D., um, it's a song that the people that knew the apostles themselves may have been around when this song was first being sung at Christian churches and Christian gatherings. And of course, it was probably originally maybe in Greek or Hebrew, and here it is in English. The song is this, Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon all those in the tombs bestowing life. I'll read it two more times because it's usually read in threes. Why threes? Well, Christ, uh, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The, the number, the completeness of threes is, is often celebrated in the church. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, into all those in the tombs bestowing life. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon all those in the tombs bestowing life. Let's close in prayer. Uh, we wait for the resurrection. These analogies of seeds that look dead but really do have life in them are something that we, we, we think about. This analogy of we are but in a tent uh, of a body that is not eternal. But when this tent is uh, retired, when we as our humanly uh, bodies die there is a death that brings life. And God, we thank you for that. We thank you for life, and we thank you that that when we die, we can wait in the hope that just like you were raised from the dead, you will raise us from the dead. And what an amazing hope. Though we don't deserve that. Though we say to you that we are just simply your creations. We are humble. We are sinners. We don't deserve what you have for us, what you've created for us. But, Lord, we so willingly receive it. We thank you for it, that while we were sinners, you died for us, Jesus. That's a part of our salvation, that you died for us, and you didn't stay dead. You rose from the grave, trampling it down into all those in the tombs, bestowing life. So, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship you. We praise your holy name. We are in hope that you will raise us from the dead one day. We love you, Lord. And everybody said, Amen. All right, friends, we're ending just a tad early, so go in peace. We'll see you next week. Blessings. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the college and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward Sunday School.